Welcome to the Grip City Golf Podcast, your source for new information, insightful interviews, and good old-fashioned banter about golf in Portland, Oregon. Today's episode is presented by Brink and Brown Sanitation. Introducing the hosts of Grip City Golf, Andy Dirt Johnson and Eric Peterson. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Welcome in episode 14 of the Grip City Golf Podcast. We have made it to the official end of season one. Andy Dirt Johnson, Eric Peterson. We survived a season. We made it all the way, buddy. This is the end of season one. Dude, I remember episode zero, episode one, going back to then saying episode zero was actually episode one. And we were just trying to figure stuff out. Like our mics even plugged in, you know, those early days. What I remember most fondly about that now that we're here is not knowing at that time how many episodes we would record. Like I was like, is this something that we're really going to stick with? Are people really going to listen? I just didn't know at that point if it was actually going to make it <laughs> make it through to when we kind of thought we would try to wrap it up, which is around Labor Day weekend. And here we are, dude. I can't believe it. I mean, you and I haven't really gotten in too many big arguments or fights about what we're talking about. I feel like it's gone pretty smooth. It, I, I will say it has gone smooth. I didn't know, like going all the way back to last summer when we had a couple of beers at Eastmoreland and started talking about this and thinking about doing it. It's always one thing to have an idea. It's another thing to execute it and actually put it into action. And so totally. it's been, it's been incredibly fun. And I'll say the most rewarding part for me is that, you know, we will get a little nostalgia and kind of take a look back at season one, because maybe there's some folks that missed episodes along the way. And I want to just go over some highlights for people. But I think the coolest thing for me has been, I knew that family members of mine were going to listen. I, I knew that friends of mine were going to listen, that you know, I was going to get a text from Andy Peterson or Sam Johnson saying, hey, you're stupid for this take or whatever. That was a given. I knew listeners of the radio show who liked golf and I pubbed it on the show like I knew that they would dive in. The amount of people that we had that either just followed us on Twitter or hit me up, you know, with a private message saying love the podcast that I had never heard of before that don't listen to the radio show, like no connection that just I don't even know how they stumbled on it, to be honest with you. Maybe it was word of mouth, but the amount of people that you had no prior relationship with that just love golf and love golfing in Portland and especially in the Northwest, uh, that, that was really cool for me that we reached some people that uh, I didn't know if we were going to reach at all. And it turned out to be a pretty good year one. Well, and you and I joked at the beginning about, I mean, we were asking an honest question that kind of turned into a joke quickly because we looked at each other like, okay, how many people do we think are going to listen to this? And <laughs> you were like, well... I mean, you were telling me about your Twitter followers and people who listen to the, your regular show. And, and then you went to like, well, and I've got, you know, some family and friends, maybe, you know, a handful, <laughs> 40, 30, 40 people. And I was thinking the same type of thing, like, I don't know, 30, 40 people. So I was thinking at the beginning, like, OK, maybe if 100 people listen to an episode, that's pretty darn good. But that's assuming that every single friend is going to listen, which probably isn't accurate. <laughs> so the fact that we were able to get those people to listen and they, like you said, share with their friends and um, get people talking. I mean, that's why we did this, right? Is because we wanted to kind of be involved in the conversation about golf in Portland. We just thought there's so much cool stuff going on, whether it be businesses or golf courses or tournaments or just stuff that people are doing in and around the Portland golf scene. That was really the genesis, right? Is we wanted to try to be part of sort of stirring that pot. And so it's been fun that people actually think it's kind of cool. I think we've got a lot of improving to do. I think we can 
prep more, we can be more organized. Although that is kind of the fun of it too. But yeah, I agree with you, man. It's been fun. My expectations were low, so it wasn't hard to exceed them. But <laughs> we set the bar really low at the start. <laughs> what I mean, it happened. So I'm I'm excited for the opportunity and that you believed in me to do it. So I hopefully I get signed past my rookie deal. <laughs> Your 10-day contract is up. We'll give you the we'll give you the full uh two-year deal. So yeah, we're not going anywhere. We're planning on doing uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it looks in the off season and what we want that to look like, but we're planning on, you know, staying somewhat relevant and taking a little hiatus now that football season is here. And obviously we want to come back for season two because listeners have been great and we feel like there's a lot more content in the golf scene locally. I'll tell you the, the cool rewarding thing too, that I've noticed recently is I got some people that, you know, you, everybody has their golf circles that they play in and whether it be family members or friends. And so you'll hit people up, Hey, I'm playing on Friday. You want to come? And I've had some people that have reached out to me while golfing and said, Oh yeah, I ordered a, a rangefinder cover from Olin Golf. I'd never heard of those guys, and I ordered that. Or getting a text message, being like, "Dude, I got to get a Jones golf bag. Like, how do I not have a Jones golf bag?" And so, just those little connections. And I know I'm the same way that when I started this with you, you were so much more plugged into the golf industry than I am, and businesses and people and uh, companies, all that, right? And I just I love playing golf. That's about it for me. So for me, it was a journey to learn about so many of these cool, unique companies and people that are. Uh, behind the scenes. And I hope that uh, everybody who's come on the show this season has enjoyed it. And I do want to take a walk down memory lane at some point, and you can send us your favorite me uh, memories from uh, season one, your favorite guests and all that. And then we want some guest ideas for season two as well, because we got big things coming next year and we got to start working on that. I did though, before we do anything else, I do. I think we need to take a couple of moments to Shout out one Rory McIlroy for this weekend. I don't know how much, did you watch much of the, the FedEx cup this weekend? I did. Yeah. It was, I mean, talking about finishing on a high note of him and Scotty Scheffler and the years that those guys have had, and to close it out with two of the biggest faces in golf, two guys that have stood, you know, stood by the PGA Tour. I just, I don't know, it, it was one of the more captivating weekends for me. And, and, you know, the tour championship isn't always that way. Now, when you get Tiger coming with a tidal wave of people behind him and whatever that was, like 18 or 19, that's obviously going to stand out. But Outside of that, there's not a lot of tour championship memories that I have throughout the last 10 years. This is going to be one for me. And watching those two guys duke it out, I got a man crush on Rory. So I know I'm a little biased here, but I don't know. I thought that was a great way to end the PGA Tour season. Yeah. And Scheffler started, remember, early in the year, like lightning in a bottle. He won at Phoenix. He won, I think, what was it, the match play? He won a couple of times yeah, before match play. the Masters and then yep. won the Masters. And the beginning of his season started so fast. And then to have it then be bookended by that performance at Eastlake. I'm actually amazed he didn't win. I mean, when he was leading by, what was it? Six shots going into Sunday. Mm -hmm. I actually thought on Sunday, it's like, this is going to be pretty boring because he's going to win by four or five or whatever. But the fact that Rory came and grabbed him was, I mean, I was surprised. Were you surprised to see that Rory did that? Because he hasn't oh, really been the guy to come and win majors or big tournaments lately. He's kind of been struggling in that regard. It was funny that it, it felt like it was a moment for the golf world and for Rory that like all the stars aligned. like for the year that he's had of becoming like the face of the tour and the spokesperson for keeping guys on board and him and Tiger got this new venture now, like Monday Night Golf or whatever they're doing in stadiums around the country. Like he's, he's really taken on that new mantle and to have him win the tour championship, I thought the universal line there, but I also couldn't help but think you know, watching Cam Smith chase him down at the Open Championship, the same thing happened to him that he did to Scotty Scheffler. And the difference yeah. was that 
he couldn't make a damn putt outside eight feet. He two putted every single hole at the open championship. And here he was pouring in like a 30 footer on 16 for birdie to give him a one shot lead. And so it's a, I, I thought it was great for golf to not only have him win, but also a reminder of how things can even out and balance out. And some, some days the ball bounces your way and it's going to, as we joked on an earlier episode, you get a lip in that you don't complain about. And other days you're going to get a lip out. It just, Everything aligned, and it was uh, it was kind of cosmic. I think a, a cosmic way for him to finish the year. What did you think about LIV's involvement in this season, and how you want to talk about stirring the pot? About how that just kind of threw everything off its axis this year. And like you mentioned, Rory has become kind of an elder statesman of the PGA Tour. And I couldn't help thinking as I was watching that on Sunday about Rory is the guy who's going to win this in a year that was so tumultuous. I thought that Jay Monahan's got to be sitting back in Ponte Vedra just so happy <laughs> that, that, that it's him, right? Did you just think about laugh. the LIV sort of totally, thing about the whole time? Totally. And it was awkward because we knew guys were leaving and they were still allowed to play because they hadn't signed their contract yet. And there's nothing you can do. Cam Smith and some of those other guys, like they're there. You can't kick them out because he hasn't left yet. You can't suspend him over a rumor. And then once it's over, you know, everybody's bolting and they got to answer the awkward questions. It, it was a, it was a perfect year for us to start a golf podcast because it definitely was not a normal year in the, in the sport of golf. And we were involved in it too. Like we, we had to live here. And so I just, it, it's been a wild year. And I, I also remembered that. Um, and I know, I think I brought this up a couple of times on the pod, but they're shooting that Netflix documentary on this year's PGA tour that is going to be similar to uh, similar to the formula one documentary that they've done in, in years past. And just imagining the behind the scenes that you're going to get from that and all the little things that happen throughout the course of the year. I think it's coming out sometime in November, October, November, something like okay. that. So just keep an eye on that. Cause you're going to get a behind the scenes look that we didn't get, but I mean, live dominated the year. It really did. And that's why I thought it was so fitting for Rory to win because he's become the, he's become the face of the PGA tour. Yeah. And you know, you said that we, what a crazy year and the LIV was in Portland. I mean, this is like one of those years that will never happen again. And I mean, even if the LIV stays around for a few years, that first year will always be the most remembered and most talked about. Yeah. And the fact that we had one of those events right here in our own backyard. And remember <laughs> you and I were talking earlier this year about there's like a 0% chance that this thing is actually going to come off the ground. Peter Jacobson agreed with us. Nobody thought it was actually going to happen. And then it did. And then it's like, it, it keeps gaining steam up until right after the tour championship. Like you said, players are leaving kind of just as a formality right after that tournament's over, man, it's, it's crazy to think about what LIV did to this season and what it's going to do to next season too. Like we'll, we'll kind of the newness of it wear off and it'll just be sort of this other thing or will it continue to be controversial? I think that remains to be seen. Yeah. And will it become a viable option for golf fans? Cause I know everybody's different on what you want to watch and are you willing to, maybe they get a TV contract, but I think that's still a big question too. If you got big names now, I mean, Cameron Smith is a huge deal. That's a guy that's at the peak of his, it's not one of these like, ah, does he have anything left in the tank? Like that's a guy that just won the open championship. He's at the peak of golf. He's young in the prime of his career. And so to get a guy like that, that that's a game changer. And is that enough to get people to tune in on top of a Brooks and Bryson and DJ and some of these other guys? Like we'll, we'll have to wait and find out on that and just how it's going to work. And I know there's rumors out there this week. There's a report that they're not coming back to pumpkin Ridge, which is kind of flying in the face of some of the stuff that we heard when we were out there. But 
don't know, maybe just the uh, the outpouring of protests wasn't quite what they wanted or something. And I'd, be, I'd be interested to know when we when we learn for sure that it's not returning. I'd be interested to hear the reason. And yeah. are other venues they went to once? Are they not going back to those? Like what happened in Portland that was different than the other venues? Because I mean, remember, there, there wasn't really any protesting. I mean, they got some local news that talked to civic leaders here locally that thought it was a bad idea like ron wyden spoke out against it and stuff but it just it there was nothing on the grounds actually that, that could potentially interfere with the tournament so I'd, I'd be curious to know like what was the rationale for why they're not going to come back i thought the venue was awesome i thought I you and i too. talked about like the routing made a lot of sense it seemed like logistically it's a it's a good spot for it i don't know what what that all means if if it's even true right as of now we're just going off of what twitter told us but uh, <laughs> right, it remains right. to, to be seen and then yeah. who are they gonna backfill it with maybe they're gonna move it to a different course in portland <laughs> hey east moreland come on down right <laughs> see if they can hit see if bryson can hit it out of the trees with a with a four iron yeah it was the only i hope a positive that came out of it and i don't know if it will and i don't know how this relationship will play out but I just think, and, and I think our podcast is an example of this. People are people are thirsty and hungry for more golf here. There's, there's a passionate, you know, following for the sport and people that play the sport and watch the sport and want to talk about the sport. And so I'm hoping if anything comes out of it, it's that Pumpkin Ridge shows that dude, we can be a PGA Tour stop. Like we have the length. The winning number was 14 under par, and I know like, this three day tournament, so it would have been a little bit higher than that. But I just I, I hope that's a positive that came out of it. Whether it even be a, a Corn Ferry tour stop that comes back. I just, we need something in, in the Northwest on a regular basis. And the fact that we don't have it outside of like a senior tour event that goes by Snoqualmie up in, up in Washington, it's kind of sad. And so in that regard, I, you know, I'm not going to watch a ton of live golf, but I would have gone out again because there's big time golfers there and I want the access and we don't get a chance to watch him. That was the whole benefit of it. So it is a bummer in that regard, if it's not coming back. Yeah. You and I were wondering what the final score would be and were they going to shoot was everybody gonna like shoot 62 every day or was the course gonna hold its own and i think it certainly did i mean hell east lake just last week what was rory at 22 under and he and he, he triple bogeyed the first hole too yeah. he, he started four under and then got all the way back to even par like three holes yeah. in and then rattled off 22 under or whatever i don't think it's gonna be i don't think that pumpkin ridge in terms of how difficult it is will be a will be an issue and that's kind of what gets my mind turning of well, if it's not that, then what else is it? Because it wasn't really the protesting either, at least in yeah. my opinion. Was it a mutual agreement of like Escalante said, yeah, we don't really want to have it back either. Therefore, let's go ahead and go our separate ways. Or, or was there something that was a problem that they were like, you know what, we're not going to come back again. Yeah. We're assuming that it's actually true. But if it ends up being true, I'd be interested to know why that decision was made. Agree with you there. Uh, let's take a walk down memory lane, buddy. Season one uh, was something we weren't even sure if we were going to do, but I, I, I go all the way back to us being nervous and trying to figure out how we're going to tape an interview with Peter Jacobson in like late March, I think is where this all began. You, you weren't nervous. Come on. I, I wasn't, well, I was more nervous of just like, he's calling in to a studio and I'm, are we going to get the phone? Like, is this, I just, is this all going to work? You know, are we actually going to get Peter Jacobson on the line? It's one thing to get an email. It's another thing to follow through, but I'll toss it to you, man. I just, some of your highlights and your favorite moments in a, a walk down memory lane so far from season one. I think talking to Peter was really fun. I was actually surprised as, as we talked with him, how into it he was. And like you were saying, like, is the connection going to be good? Is he actually going to call in? And you know what's funny is he was like the most on time 
the most generous with his time of almost anybody. I mean, when we're when when we're there in person, I guess interviewing with people, it's harder for them to not be on time. But when it when it comes to like you're waiting for someone to call in, it's like, what if they just don't call? But Peter <laughs> did right at exactly the time he said he would. He talked, I mean, I think we talked to him for almost an hour. And he was so generous with his time. I loved just hearing the stories that he told about Tin Cup. That was really cool. I think that the story about the clam bake playing with Clint Eastwood and oh, the, yeah. his his impressions that he did and just the the people that had an impact on his life, his golfing life, certainly his dad playing at Astoria Country Club and Peter slammed the club and his dad told him to, I'll meet you in the parking lot, not in the car, but at the car. <laughs> yeah. Just stuff like that. I mean, I, I just think that a lot of us can relate to some of that stuff because we have a person that we'll never forget that was the reason that we got into golf or we have a round that we'll never forget that was with certain people. And it's cool when you hear someone like Peter tell those stories that end up being so relatable that we're like, yeah, I know what that feels like. And here we are just trying to figure out a way to break 80 or break 90. And he's talking about how he sort of navigated through his PGA tour career. That, that was probably the funnest interview for me because that was one of our first interviews too, right? Or was I it, think it was first? the first one that was the very, yeah, we did an intro episode where it was just me and you. And then that was the first, uh, that, yeah. that was our whole episode zero, episode one controversy. That's right. So <laughs> we've learned a lot from, from that point about how to book guests and what we should talk about. And we've leaned pretty heavy on our listeners for that too, of, Hey, what should we talk about or, or who should we talk to, which has been awesome to have that level of engagement, but to be able to start it with Peter, that, that was probably the highlight of my year. What about you? Yeah, he, he is tough to top. That was so cool. Getting him to tell me to hit eight iron, eight iron, eight iron at, uh, at Stone Creek. And... Well, you were bashing his course a little bit. I mean, <laughs> well, were, I mean, I mean yeah. it's like you said that it was one of your favorite courses, but like you were but pissed off about that. Can we flatten out 12 through 15? That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking for. Okay. Put a little he landfill was, in there and flatten it out. He was pretty quick to defend his position on that. He wasn't going to back down and say, you know what, Dirt? You've got a good point. Maybe we yeah. should do something there. <laughs> I mean, look, he's 100% right it's a, it's all my golf game it's i'm like the guy that can't make a putt and my reaction is to go buy a new putter you yeah. know it's like i can't hit i can't find the fairway on 15 it's my fault i just yeah. can't hit that shot it's not your fault in the course design he he's tough to top i i a couple of others brian henninger was amazing uh you know getting a chance to talk to somebody who held a saturday night lead at augusta like just those stories and how open he was talking about you know the disappointment of not finishing it and the way he played on sunday but how he's turned that into kind of a career of teaching. I, I know that was cool. He's an um, emotional guy. Huh? I mean, he, he really is. wears his heart on his sleeve. 100% man. And that's, that was one that we meant to do in person and it fell through. And so we still got to get out there and see him and Amy in person and, and thank them because they were both awesome uh, from the golf farm talking about that. But outside of that, I, I think the other cool part of it was not only are we telling the stories of these golfers and, you know, having guys that are going to, you know, play us amateurs and, you know, uh, you know, having a gal that's going to Oregon State from Cleveland High School. Like we had some great golf stories in that regard. But I think one of the cool, unique things that I learned as the season went on is is the companies. And, you know, Matt Lemon at Jones or, uh, you know, Akbar Chisti is one that stands out to me too. him from Seamus. I mean, that was so fun sitting in his office and talking to him for 45 minutes. Like it's hard to pick a favorite. It's like a favorite kid or a favorite dog. Like I just I loved all of them. But uh, getting to know the background of some of those stories and the companies and how they started and how I, I work in a profession where a lot of people tell me that I'm living the dream. Like, oh, it's my dream job, man. You get to talk about sports for three hours a day. It's like, 
dude, I get it. It's easy. I work 15 hours a week. I got zero complaints. But it's funny going into some of these rooms because I look at these people and I say, God, you're living the dream, man. Like you're running a golf cut. This is your job. You're designing towels and ball markers and golf bags. Like <laughs> this is my dream, dude. I would love to do this. So it's fun to have the shoe on the other foot. And all those guys were awesome. You mentioned Seamus and, and Jones. I love seeing those products in other cities. Like when I go out and travel, if I'm somewhere and I see a Jones bag in a golf shop in Colorado, it's fun to take a picture of it and text it to Matt and say, Hey, check this out. Just want to make sure you knew that your product is out there. Like they said they were going to do. Because <laughs> right. then like you kind of, I don't know that I feel like I'm part of it, but I feel like that Portland connection is strong when you see it out there in the, in the golf world. Or if you happen to see a tour player, like Jones is starting to get into that where they're, they're signing on some tour players that if you see Jones product, like on TV or in a magazine ad or something, like, it's just fun to know that that's right here in our backyard. Cause you don't think of golf or you don't think of Portland as a, an anchor in the golf business, but when it comes to creative craftsman type of products, there's a lot of them in Portland, like certainly more than you would think. It almost seems kind of random, but then when you talk with Akbar and you talk with Matt, we talk with Rob um, mm-hmm. from Olin golf about what inspires them, how they got into it. It's all kind of, it's not necessarily golf specific. It's just like, they're craftsmen, right? They found something that they're passionate about and then they followed through on it and executed it. Like you and I were talking about, like, it's one thing to talk about making head covers and turning it into a business, but it's (laughs) another thing to actually follow through and do it. And to see that all those companies not only do it, but do it at a really high level to where it's nationally and internationally renowned. That's pretty cool. It, it is. I'll, I'll connect it to like, I'm with you when you see a logo or a bag or something in the wild, you're like, man, that's cool. That's from my backyard. I, you know, I know the guy that made that and yeah. we started that company. I'll connect it to, it's like, you know, whether you're a duck or beaver fan, if you go down to some other part of the country and you see somebody walking down the sidewalk with a duck shirt on or a beaver shirt on, you immediately, Hey, go ducks. Like, you know, yeah. you yelled it out. Like, cause you just don't expect to see it. You know, around here, it's everywhere. I see duck and beaver, you know, crap all over the place, but when you're somewhere in New York or the Southeast or the Midwest, it's like, totally. holy crap, that's a Jones bag, man. That's amazing. So I already know I, I get asked by my in-laws every year. I got to come up with a Christmas list for them. And I never know what, I don't need anything. If I need something, I go buy it. I already know this year, Seamus uh, club head cover, got to add it to the bag. And I'm, I'm, I got to get a Jones golf bag. I don't have a Jones golf bag. So those are going on the Christmas list this year. You've got a, a direct text message connection to those guys now. I know. Yeah, give me the give me the insider. Give me the Grip City Golf discount. All right. What are you guys hooking up? Right, <laughs> Matt and Akbar, are you listening right now? Let me know. Do you um, remember? Do you remember when we were first booking these guests? I felt obligated to sell them on why they should talk with us because <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> hey, I know you know me, but there's this podcast thing I'm doing, and I sort of think of it as they probably get requests for interviews, and they have to then in their mind if they've never heard of it sort of wrap their mind around, okay, is this legit? Is this worth my time? Because they're all really busy people, right? So that was my thing about when we were trying to get these guys on the show, when I would pick up the phone and call them, my first thought was always, I got to be in a mindset of selling them on coming on because I didn't want to be too confident about what we're doing. And I figured these guys are busy. They probably get re- media re- requests. What are, what are we going to say? What are we going to offer them that's going to make them say, yeah, I'd love to talk with them. <laughs> and sure enough, we batted a thousand. We didn't have anybody who, 
I mean, it would have been crazy if they didn't respond, but we didn't have anybody who kind of like kept us at arm's length. And even like with Peter, I didn't really know how that was going to go. I mean, I was sort of thinking we'll probably get a response from his team saying, uh, he's super busy maybe. And it would just sort of fizzle out, but it never did. And so knock on wood that we're able to go into next season, continuing that momentum of being able to convince people that that we're actually kind of fun to talk with. (laughs) And it's worth it. It's worth your time. We promise. And on that note, it's a good segue uh, to the listeners. I mean, we can't thank you enough for all the support in in season one. If you got any guest ideas, whether it be a, you know, a caddy, you know, a a clubhead pro, you know, it doesn't matter anybody that you think has an interesting background, an interesting story in in the Portland area golf scene or the Oregon or, uh, you know, Southwest Washington golf scene. Let us know at Grip City Golf on Twitter. Hit us up, man. We're in the off season, going to try and compile kind of a list and how we want to navigate next year and the things that we want to do and all that. So uh, if you got any ideas, we are all ears and uh, would love to hear your suggestions. So hit yeah, us up at Grip City that. Golf. I yeah. So, so fire them away. Uh, let me throw a controversial one at you before we get to uh, some listener questions and then kind of put a bow on season one. I saw this question posed on Twitter and I need to ask Eric Peterson, the, the definitive commissioner of golf you are. Okay. So I'm going to ask you this question. Does this round count? And would you view this as a PR and give him the credit for a 79? A golfer that had never broken 80 before in his career. He goes out, he plays nine holes. He shoots uh, 39 on the front. Okay. Darkness hits, can't finish his round. Nope. He's got to, He's got to sleep on it, show up to the course the next day. He shows yeah. up to the course the next day and shoots a 40. You're not giving no. him credit for the 79? Hell no. <laughs> no. No way. <laughs> There's n- no way. That's not even a debate. Do you think it a, is? That was a quick, immediate. No, that was you were you were you were quick from the hip there, man. I didn't. Think I you mean, were I draw that fast. No, no disrespect to people who are trying to shoot their number, whatever your number is, whether it's seventy nine or or eighty nine from someone trying to break ninety. Doesn't matter what you're trying to do. You can't you can't piecemeal together an eighteen hole round over the course of two days. <laughs> I know. I agree with you too. I have to, I have to take the same stance. I saw that. And it was so funny reading through the responses. And as somebody who has had more golf rounds this summer than I could count where I shot sub 38 on the front and just to see them combust by like the 13th hole, like thinking to yourself, like, Hey, I might go out and fire 74 today. I'm playing great. And then double bogey on 11, double bogey on 12. You're like, well, there goes that idea. That's out the window. Let's just try and salvage a 79 now. As somebody who's seen that, I, I have to agree with you that I think sleeping on it and showing up to the course, a new warm up set, you know, range session, it's uh, not quite the same. Next question. <laughs> Next question. I love it. Let me ask you this. You big President's Cup guy? You get into the President's Cup? No. I, I don't either. I know. I try to, and then it's like, eh, it's, a, it's at least in the States this year, so it won't be on in the middle of the night like it's being played in, you know, South Africa or something. So that helps, but I'm, I tend to agree with you there. I, for um, some reason, I have a hard time getting into the Ryder Cup anymore. Really? I, yeah. The, okay, just, that's a little weird. I disagree with you there. Yeah. Well, for me personally, first of all, it happens during football season. And, and golf is my number one sport by a mile to play to, as a participant. Cause I don't really play football or basketball. You don't strap me, on the pads anymore. So maybe on, maybe dude. that's kind of, maybe that's kind of <laughs> unnecessary to even claim, but as, as a fan, my passion for college football burns almost as hot as it does for the PGA tour golf season. Obviously college football trumps middle of the, of the road, John Deere classics of the world. But if I were to put watching the masters or 
watching the Ducks play in a in a mm. huge bowl game, like which which is more exciting? I think that the football is way ahead, actually. I mean, and maybe people are going to be like, "Dude, you're nuts," but that that's just me personally, and maybe that's arguable. I don't know if you have an opinion on that, but that, I, yeah, that's I, why I can't get into the Ryder Cup because we're we're into football season. We've made that. We've crossed that threshold. Like, don't ask me to go back to summer. <laughs> it's over. I'm drinking pumpkin spice latte now, damn it. All right. I got a fire going and chili in the crock pot. Okay. I, you know, I'll say this. I, I think the popularity of the Ryder Cup would be much greater if you could change the time of year that it's played. And, and I know that that's probably impossible because you got, you know, tours all over the world that are being played throughout the summer. And we just there's too many these, tournaments as right? it is. You couldn't you couldn't put it anywhere. You couldn't put it in the middle of the summer. If you put it in the in you know, like, for example, you have it last weekend or the weekend before one of these last two weekends of the summer. I think my interest level would go up in it. Now, I still watch follow closely, but it's usually on like, what's my third like screen? You know, do I got my laptop in front of me? Is it on a tablet? Because it's not going to take priority over football season. So I, I agree with that take, and that's the only bummer of it. I wish it was a different time of year because I, I would be more excited about it. But let's get to some listener questions because we got some of these, and they've been great all year. First off, shout out to Taylor because he sends us like 37 an episode, and it's great. It's good content, and we appreciate him listening. And uh, Would, we, would and, we consider him a, a P1? He's a P1. He is undoubtedly a P1. Um, so Which I actually go. just learned just real quick. Sorry. Yeah, I, I when you guys used to say you and Sprague on your show used to refer to people as P1. I thought that meant that they were like a, a producer on your show, like because <laughs> at the Golf Channel, I think the the first kind of entry level producer level job was called a P1. So that's what I thought it was. In fact, there's no question in my mind that that's what it was. And so you would rattle off all these names. who was a P1. I'm like, man, they got a lot of staff over there at 1080. I didn't know like there were that many dude. P1s. <laughs> and then I learned from you that, no, that's just someone who has 1080 as their, what is it, their first button on their They're, radio yeah. dial? The number one preset. You're a number oh. one preset guy. Anyway. And here's what I'll say. I think it counts as both because Taylor's kind of been a producer for us this summer because of the questions he sends in. So he's, we, he's a content creator. We need know? to bring him on. We need, we'll get him on the payroll. The, uh, you, you get paid in uh, beers and uh, rounds at East Moreland. That's how it works. Uh, he said, as we near the end of the good weather season, how many rounds do you play in the off season and uh, will you play in the rain? I know your answers to this. Well, how often I play in the off season, just like how often I play in, in the summer and spring, any season, it changes as your family dynamic changes. And so for me, I'm not playing as much, but if I were to just take my percentage, I probably play 70% of my golf between the masters and labor day weekend. And then the other 30% is those other months. And then those are loaded in October and March. I don't really play much at all between like November. We go to Hawaii in November. So I'll play a couple of times over there. But in Portland, in November, December, January, February, not happening. Maybe once, like if there's, if there's some person in town or, or there's some little thing that somebody wants to go and play, I'll go and play in that, especially if it's at one of the courses that are better off season courses. But besides that, I'm pretty much hanging it up, man. Yeah. I, I tend to be the same. I, I'm going to try and be a little more aggressive this off season and we'll see if it works out. Cause I say that every year and then you get into the flow of football season and you're like, Hey, it's Thanksgiving. And then you're like, wait a minute, I haven't played golf in two months. And then you're yeah. like, I gotta, you know, I gotta get to the range and start working on stuff. So 
I, I tend to be the same way where it's like April through the end of August is about 85% of my golf. Yeah. And then, you know, you get, if I could get between October and March, if I could play like four rounds, I'm, I'm happy. That's a good number for me. You know, randomly I'm with you. I get a day off in December and it happens to be 54 degrees and it's yeah. sunny. You're like, dude, I'll head down to Langdon and get 18 in today. Or buddies invite you out golfing because they're wintertime golfers. You're like, yeah, I'll go play today because it's going to be dry. I, I'm out on the rain, though. I'm just I'm out. I, uh, unless it's banded. Unless it's banded. Yes. Unless it's banded. If it's sprinkle, if it starts sprinkling during around, whatever, that's fine. But if I'm looking out the window and it's a downpour, like, dude, no, that's just miserable. No, thank you. I'll go yeah. to a covered range and hit some balls. Um, he also asked, what do you do to keep your golf swing in shape uh, when you can't get out on the course? How many times do you hit the range in the off season? Zero. <laughs> You're not I'll, a range n- guy? N- now that these indoor simulator spaces are more prevalent, I think it'd be fun to go hit one of those up, especially if there's a football game on on the side. You can do that on a Sunday. Yeah. I think that'd be pretty fun. So that's probably what I'll do in the off season, but I'm not going to go to the range and work on my swing. Come on, man. You got to be married to the grind, EP. But then, so here's the reason why no one should do that. This, here's my hot take on working on your game. You probably didn't have the best, and I'm speaking generally here. You probably didn't have as good of a, uh, of a year as a golfer as you felt like you could have, right? Why not just let all that negative stuff out and just start fresh in March? warming up and then once the masters hits and you're listening to the music and you're drinking your your lemonade and having your pimento cheese that you're like you know what this is a new year versus if you're grinding through the off season you get to that and you're kind of like well i'm already working on this and i'm not really happy like it's like dude take it take some time to reset i mean hell tour players do that they say that like some of the best months of their of their year are the weeks that they just don't even touch a golf club because it allows them to kind of clear their head, let the bad juju, the bad vibes kind of leave their body, and then they can start fresh. Maybe that sounds like an excuse for not practicing, but that's kind of my <laughs> mindset is just start fresh, take time off. And then you've got, I'm a, I'm a windshield guy. I'm not like a, a rear view mirror guy or someone who's looking out the side, like, oh, what do I need to be doing right now? No, let's look forward. And in order to look forward, sometimes you got to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great motivational speech. I think I need that in my golf game. I'm going to hire you as my mental coach. Yeah, so, but, but, you know, you're talking about like in the off season, you're maybe going to play here and there, but you're yeah. a country club guy now. So I you know, have the true. opportunity to go play at any time. So you're this telling me you're not going to play more? Probably not. No, I mean, football season's tough because weekends are off limits for me. Like, I just can't like once, once football starts, it's like, if I don't watch games, it's like doing a radio show, uh, without doing the homework, like taking a test without studying for the test kind of thing. I did that enough in college and I don't want to do it in my professional career. So I'm like, I'm out on weekends and then it becomes weekdays. And I, you know, I don't mind playing by myself, but it's hard. Like I can't find people to play at one o'clock on a Tuesday in October. Like it's just not, (laughs) it's not. I'm going to send you that text on a Thursday. Hey, 1230 on Thursday. You want to go play 18 holes? I got enough of those from you this, this (laughs) summer of like, Hey, I'm playing tomorrow at at two at pumpkin or wherever you want to play. Like, I mean, I want to play, but I can't play. I'd love to. I, it is funny though, because you bring that up where I think I'll find myself at the range, mainly just out of boredom. Like it's like a day I got nothing going on. It's like, yeah. God, I'm just sitting, there's nothing on TV. I got nothing to do. Well, I'll go hit a bucket of balls. Like that's how I view it. Not so much. How am I working on my game? It's just to go do something outside. Yeah. But it is funny because you bring up the losing bad habits. I'm that way every year where the first couple of rounds of my year are usually some of the better rounds of my summer. 
because I have no bad thoughts, no bad swing thoughts, not working, worrying about, you know, a duck hook that I hit last Tuesday that went out of bounds when I had a good round going. Like none of that's in your mind. You have no bad habits and you just go out there and you swing easy and free. And Hey, look at that. I fired one of my best scores of the summer. I was going to say like swinging easy. Like I, cause I agree with that. And I think the reason I usually fall under that too is because I'm swinging at like 70, 80%. So my tempo is better. And what do you know? I end up shooting a lower score. <laughs> and then for whatever reason, I can't continue swinging at 80%. I try to just rip it. Oh man. It's a struggle. It's a struggle out there, folks. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, Andrew wants to know best golf movie. I mean, it's Caddyshack. Come on. Oh my God. Really? Caddyshack. Caddyshack's number one. Tin cup is number one. And, number and, one for you. and I actually have a reason why, because Caddyshack's number two for me easily to me, it's those two. And like, what are the other ones? Like Bagger Vance. You got a le- you know, legend of Bagger Vance. There's a couple other ones out there, but nothing comes. Come Happy on. Gilmore, I guess. Counts, oh yeah. You know, yeah. Okay. Comedy, so which... that, that would be three. Yeah. But so here's why Tin Cup is better than Caddyshack. Okay. Everyone turn up your radio and listen to this for a second. <laughs> Tin Cup is real. Those characters are real people that it's relatable. The golf part of it is relatable. The human element of it, of it's a love story too, is relatable. Those are real people in that movie. Whereas Caddyshack, freaking Rodney Dangerfield is a, he's a cartoon character. Like that's not a real person. Like, right. I mean, so it's You're not funny. Wrong. You're not wrong. I have no counter argument here. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's, it's freaking hilarious. Okay. And it is the second best golf movie. I don't think there's any debating that, but I just feel like Tin Cup is just so real and it's so relatable and it's still it's still funny as hell too it's a comedy and, and we have the local portland angle with it too that's the piece of it that to me yeah. i'm probably a little biased but i just try to look up look at it objectively and that's why i think that that movie is so good is because it's not just a golf movie that it transcends that and sure caddyshack you could say that's not a golf movie either but i mean it it kind of is. I mean, it's all at a country club and it's just sort of like right. lapstick humor, kind of like National Lampoon's kind of humor. But I just I just feel like Tin Cup is better. So tell yeah, me I, why. Tell me why I'm wrong. Tell me why Caddyshack is better than Tin Cup. It's I honestly all the arguments you make, I, I can't poke holes in any of them and in, in any of them. All of it's spot on. It's a better overall golf movie. It's more realistic. There's local ties. The stories are relatable. The love story. I'm with you on all that. I just to me, I just chose the funnier movie. And maybe that's unfair, but I think Caddyshack's one of the funniest movies ever made and also one of the most quoted movies ever made. That and so Happy no Gilmore is too. Happy Gilmore is too. Yeah, Price but, is Wrong. But bitch. I mean, both, both of those are very quotable. So I totally, yeah. I'll give you that. So in that regard, I, I also think I find myself watching Caddyshack more and I, I don't know why that is, but maybe it's just I'm looking for a chuckle and I'll, I'll laugh. But uh, from, a, from a golf standpoint, the pure golf nature of it, I, I, I can't I can't argue with you. You're right. Tin Cup's better in that regard. Uh, but this is also making me realize what there's no we need more golf movies. Like there's nothing not, not out there. It's just yeah, not a not a great genre. We need to we need to make our own golf movie about the 19th hole at Eastmoreland and how all the poor George Beer made us lose money gambling on tee shots. I do uh, think that the Netflix one that you're talking about, while it's not a just a traditional like, oh, Hollywood yeah. movie, that's going to be a, a really interesting a really interesting story to see how that's told. That'll be incredible. Uh, let's see. Sean asked us, uh, do you like the format of the tour championship? If not, what would you do differently to improve it? I, I actually, I'm, I'm assuming talking about letting the leaders start with it, you know, eight under and then 
you know, going from there based on your season standings. I, I actually love it. I, they want to reward those guys for the way that they played all season. It's the championship for the season. To me, I view it almost as like, uh, you know, in the NFL, you get a first round buy, right? When if you're the best record in the league, you deserve to have a buy. You earned it in the season. I, I don't have any issue with it. Do you like it? Totally. Remember before they went to this format, what was it like five or six years ago where you could win the tour championship, but not the FedEx cup and how confusing that was coming down the stretch. And like, yeah. even the, the TV people had, they were, you could almost kind of hear them laughing at like, oh, well, if he makes this, he's moving this person down in the standings and he's moving <laughs> right. up. And so yeah. he might win the tour championship, but not the FedEx cup. And, you know, as you're listening to that, you can just tell it's like, this thing is bunk like they can't yeah. do it this way and yeah. so they knew that that wasn't the answer so then okay well then what is the answer i don't know what else you could do besides having a staggered scoring thing i mean maybe you could argue that the the distance between score like starting scores should be different based on because it, it's just a it's a templated cookie cutter that that format is set in stone. If you're number one, you're at whatever it is, 10 under. And if you're in second, you're at eight under. So maybe they could make it a little bit more reflective of what the actual standings are, where if you're way out ahead, like Scheffler, like let's say he was way out in front on the leaderboard, maybe he should have started at 13 under instead of 10 or figure out some way to sort of like, where, where do people actually start? But I think you have to have them start at a certain number so that whoever is the ultimate winner of that wins the whole shebang, because you can't have a winner here, a loser there. Like that, that would be, and remember like when they would show when Tiger won both, he was holding the tour championship trophy, which is actually kind of a famous trophy. So it's cool to win that. And then he'd also be holding the FedEx cup trophy. And then there's another photo where, so-and-so won the FedEx cup, but the other guy won the tour championship. And you're just looking at it like, what am I watching here? And <laughs> what is what, going on? And, and, he, and we're passionate fans. Like we know a lot about what's going on. Like if you're just a casual fan watching that and you're looking at the trophy presentation or trying to follow the scores as it's coming down the stretch, good luck trying to figure that out. And you would probably be like, this is stupid. I mean, so the only thing that I think would be fun if they change, but it's kind of a joke is that if you were to make some change, maybe you do something like you have to play a long, like a different set of tees if you're farther back or with fewer clubs in your oh, bag or something. Okay. okay. You lose a 60 degree wedge or so. Yeah. But that's just a joke, right? I mean, they're not going to do that, but I, and cause there's been a lot of talk about players either. They don't really like the format and it's a great question um, that they asked, but I, I just don't think that, there's anything you could do to change it. I, I think the only fear that you have is that the person with the lead is going to run away with the rest of the, you know, run away with the tournament and it's going to make it unwatchable. But then you have the case study of this year of Rory chasing him down. And as you point out, I mean, they had to finish the end of Saturday's round Sunday morning. And when that got all done, he was six shots back. I mean, I, you know, he, he triple bogeyed the first hole or whatever it was and was back to even par. He gave up his <laughs> all the strokes that he had earned throughout the season and he still won. So it's a great testament to that. And your point of the, the different winners, I'll never forget one of the coolest sports moments of the last decade, I think, is when Tiger won his first tournament uh, back after that long hiatus at the Tour Championship. Yeah. He didn't win the FedEx Cup. Yeah. Justin Rose won the FedEx Cup. But That's the whole right. crowd's following Tiger and Tiger right. and Tiger and this, this throng of people. 
And then there's Justin Rose, like off to the side, holding the FedEx. Yeah, Cup he won ten million dollars. That's He's right. Like, and he won the big cash, but Tiger won the tournament. It made no sense to do it that way. And, th- and that I think was the last year of that old format, right? I think it was. But, After so, that, they're like, that was way too confusing. Yeah. We got to change this. And I think Tiger, because it was Tiger and Rory in the final group, and I think something about Tiger beat Rory not playing well, let Justin Rose win, or I, it was a weird, convoluted system that just. Didn't make any sense. You can't um, have that. If no, the product on like TV it. is hard to understand what we're watching, you're going to lose a lot of fans that way. Yes, exactly. Uh, he also asked, "What's your what's your best shot from the 2022 season? Give me give me the number one in your mind." Oh man, you know the last round I played or two rounds ago was at Heron Lake's Great Blue, and on the fourth hole, that downhill par three over the water. I hit a nine iron that just never left the flag. The tee was back and it was playing like 147 into a little wind. And I just hit a nine iron that was right at it. The pin was in the front that people can picture that hole. Oh yeah. You don't want to be short, obviously, but long's no good either because you're chipping back toward the water and you can get on those mounds back there. And so I hit it and like, it's in the air, dude. And I'm like, whoa, this looks really good. And you're not sure if the yardage is perfect. It's like, maybe this is going to splash because there's there was wind into our face. It hit two feet past the hole, like it like just missed the flag stick and spun back on the other side of the hole to like two feet. And when, you, when, you, when your ball lands on one side of the flag, like within a, say a three foot circle and spins and ends up on the other side, you know, you are darn close to it going in. Like it could have spun and, and, and gone in. That that was probably the coolest shot I hit this year because it was really close, I think, to going in. But maybe yeah. that's because it was so recent and so it's still fresh in my head. And also because <laughs> maybe I didn't have any other shots that were really that good. <laughs> you I just can't didn't think play enough else. golf this summer, man. We just didn't get EP on uh, the course very often. Man. I think I chipped in a couple times, whatever. But yeah, those are always funny. nice. Yeah, chippings are good. The ones where they land behind the hole and then end up in front of the hole, the the science behind that blows my mind because I've had that happen once or twice. And as a guy who has not had an ace in his adult life and you see the ball mark directly behind the hole and the ball is in a just straight line with the hole and the ball mark. And somehow it curves itself yeah. around the hole to spin back. I just, that doesn't make any sense for me. I, I mine's gotta be when I shot the, the 79, which was a very proud moment at East Moreland. Did you do it all in one day? I did it all in one day. Yes, it is. You can confirm. I got sources on this. Okay. It was a one day round on uh, 11. I, th- I think I shot a 40 on the front or something. You know, it was okay. Like, right, you know, I'll take a 40 any day of the week. That's a good round for me. And I got uh, par 10, got to 11, didn't hit the best of drive. And I was about 215 out and hit a five iron to like eight feet and then nice. drain, drain the eagle putt. And that That's was awesome. like the beginning of a, all right, we can do this, baby. We got this. We can break 80. 212, um, five iron. That's. That's a you know, pretty good poke. Crunch Fitness, nine ninety nine a month. All right, go get yourself in the gym, baby. <laughs> What's the uh, next club you want to replace in your bag? You got any new additions you're going to make this off season? I've been in like a three year battle with my driver, and I, I, I'm like we were talking about earlier about it's your fault, not the course's fault, and I, I feel that way about equipment too. I do think that there's merit to getting fit and all that stuff, whatever. But I'm having issues with my driver. I have a Ping G four hundred, and for some reason, it just doesn't. When I stand over it, I just don't feel super confident with it. And so I'll probably do some experimenting with a new driver this offseason. I think I'm the same way. We might have to tie this into an offseason episode. 
dirt and EP go get fitted for new drivers. And we talk to the guy that fits our swing and that, gets feedback. Like, dude, that's a great idea. A little merit there. I think we both need new drivers. Is my wife's sitting here listening and she's probably rolling her eyes. I need it. I promise. Okay. I need the new Christmas. Driver. Yeah. Christmas gift. Yeah. Right. I could put it in my new Jones golf bag. Uh, Michael wants to know when's that listener tournament going to be next year. I promise we're doing it next year. No dates, no courses figured out yet, but we're doing it next year. Okay. So let's just try to agree on a couple foundational things to give, <laughs> to get people's creative juices flowing for what it could be from that. So I think we're in agreement that it needs to be a scramble. Okay. Are okay. we? I, yeah, I'm cool with a scramble. Yeah. Okay. And are we doing four person teams? Or is it going to be like two-person teams? Ooh. A two-person scramble? Would that be if, fun? If we, we really for... want to mess everybody up, we go two-man alternate shot and just make them be <laughs> miserable for that. four hours. <laughs> I, I played with some friends on Saturday, and we just were mixing it up. And we did – it was a two-man game. And we did six holes best ball, six holes Chapman, which Chapman is where you both hit your tee shot. And then you play each other's ball for your second shot. Yes, I've done and that And then you, before. whichever one you pick from there, you play alternate shot from there. So that it's kind of like a modified alternate shot slash um, scramble. And it's not bad. As long as your teammate can get off the tee, I'm okay with that. But that's the, that's the prerequisite. <laughs> well, it's funny. Like pure, pure alternate shot to me is it's just really hard. I've yeah. played in a tournament where one of the 18 whole days was 18 holes of alternate shot. <laughs> it's, it's really hard. But I, I think doing something like a Chapman would be kind of fun. I think putting it up into three different games within the game, six holes, six holes, six holes, ended up, I hadn't really done Ooh. much of that before, but that was yeah. really fun. I think four-man scramble is easy for people to understand. Maybe a, a two-person either scramble or some sort of modified game within a twosome. Maybe that'd be easier for people to just find one buddy instead of filling a foursome. So maybe that's what we land on is that it's going to be a two-person tournament. Okay. All right. What, I'm on what board about, with this. What about a venue? Are we are we going East Moreland? Is that? Just... I, I think here's what I think we should do. I think because listeners are clearly curious about the tournament, and they, we 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 it's need because to we said that. that we were going to do it, and we haven't followed through. This is true. Yeah, we we did that on a few things. Year, it's year one. All right, you give us a little grace period. Okay, we'll figure it out by next summer. Uh, <laughs> I want listeners to tweet us what format do you think would be best, most enjoyable. And then what course should we play? Obviously, it'll be a local course. We're not going to, you know, Arizona or anything. But local course, what course do you want to play? What would be the most desirable location uh, for a tournament? We might have to reach out to our buddy who we I should have mentioned on our favorite moments, Travis Schoen. We got we to get him on, and maybe he can help us kind of coordinate and format and all the handicap stuff that goes into it if necessary. So I don't I, think that's a maybe. I think we have to engage we Travis. We need, we need some help. You know, Maybe it'll be a joint venture. We'll be a Grip City Golf Northwest golf guys tournament coming together synergy. There we go. Home run out of the ballpark. Um, let's see. And then we got this one a couple of times, your favorite winter course to play. Is it uh, Langdon Langdon for you? Yeah, I think so. Just because of the conditions. Yeah. Stone Creek's pretty good. I like stone Creek too, but yeah, Lang Langdon's Langdon's tough to beat. And then uh, let's see here. Last one. Uh, the best course to play at twilight nine in Portland. Twilight nine, you're going out summertime, five forty-five tea time. Where's he? Where, where's the dream course for EP? I have the most fond memories of playing at East Moreland. Um, I mean, when we were in when we were in high school and college, like I just remember teeing off at four o'clock, and you're playing. You end up playing. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, all kind of trying to beat the the sun. And I just, 
when the, the sun coming through the trees and those, those holes are, are, I think really fun. They're hard and it's just the summer and like with the sun going down, the sunset is, is long. So you've got, it's like, it's getting dark, but we've still got an hour of sunlight. I just, I just have good memories and just good mental images of playing that course. Another one that I just, for some reason, I don't remember why I have fond memories of playing late in the day, like kind of sunset time frame is pumpkin Ridge. Mm. And I don't know if it's something too there about the trees and just how pretty it is out there just on any day at any time. But with the, when the sun starts to go down in the summer, that course is usually in really good shape. I just feel like that's really fun as well. I think twilight golf is so awesome that you, there's no wrong answers here. One that stand, and I think to your point, there's like experiences with it, right? You have the memories of East Moreland or the memories of another course for me. And I don't know why I've played so much uh, twilight golf there. Stone Creek's one for me. I just, mm-hmm. you got mountain views and it's kind of scenic around you. There's a lot of trees along those lines where you get the kind of light that comes in hits at the right angle. And it just, it's beautiful, man. I twilight golf. Those are, those are those moments that, you know, I'm, I'm in the mode now where it's like I'm excited for football and I'm ready to go and sit on the couch for 12 hours a day. I can't wait to have the NFL red zone back. And then I know there's going to be a moment in like middle of October, early November, when I think back and just, God, I yeah. could kill for like a 445 tea time when the sun's still up and I got four hours of daylight left and get yeah. my twilight round in. You, you, we're we're going to miss it for sure. But the season's come and go. Twilight golf, hard to beat. And, and that's uh, another that's another time when you feel like when you're chasing sunlight, you kind of, you're not taking it as serious. You're playing faster and then, Oh, weird. I'm actually playing better. (laughs) And so you sometimes like some of those memories of, of having fun playing sunset rounds, it's because you probably hit some good shots. And so I think that that goes back to, again, if your standards are a little lower, if you're just out there kind of freewheeling it, oftentimes you'll play better that way. Yeah, you're just having fun, man. Well, I think that's going to do it, buddy. You got anything else you want to get to before we wrap up season one? Man, I, I just want to say I'm I'm grateful to you for for running with this with me. It's been fun. I mean, I, I can't think of a better partner to have on this. And so I, know, I remember that fondly when we were sitting on the, the 19th hole there at East Moreland that is undeniably the best 19th hole in Portland. Just <laughs> uh, Just hanging out, right? Just like anybody does after their round. And we just started kind of ideating on what if we did a podcast and I know your background, you know, mine. And so we had this automatic kind of synergy right out of the gates. And so, but like a lot of things, like we were saying, I mean, the idea is the easiest part. The execution of it is where it it becomes a lot more challenging. So I just thank you for all of your hookups and connections and that equipment, the, the mobile podcast briefcase that you carry that looks like it weighs a hundred pounds. You were, you were always there with that and everything worked. Like we were talking before we started recording this, that I'm amazed that we haven't really had any technical difficulties other than us saying, um, too much, but in terms of like act, things actually plugged in working, I'm amazed we haven't had any issues. So thank you for all your expertise on that side of it. Well, amen, brother. It has been fun. The the first season went better than I could have imagined. And I I wish the listeners could get a glimpse of the emails that Eric Peterson sends out to these people that we're bringing on and how detailed they are and how specific they are and how professional they are. Because you put a lot of legwork into working some connections and you booked every single guest that we had on the on the podcast this year. And so your, your end of the bargain was more than held up and it was so much fun to put together. And a, a sincere thank you to the listeners, man. We got a lot of tweets and texts and whether they be family members that are listening, friends that are listening, or just random people that somehow stumbled upon it. 
we can't thank you enough. We love golf. We know you love golf. And it was just fun to have an outlet to kind of provide that throughout the course of the year. So we, we thought can't wait that, for next year. We thought that most of the text messages and Twitter participation we'd get would be from our family members and friends, like making fun of us. But what I learned is that most of it wasn't. I mean, 95% of it was people that we've never met before. Maybe they're listeners of your show that crossed over into ours, but for the most part, we didn't know who they were. We didn't, they don't know us. And so, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with thanking our listeners for jumping in with us. That's like why we wanted to do this, right? Was to talk about stuff that we're interested in that we just thought coincidentally other golfers in Portland would be interested in as well. You know, stories about businesses or courses or things going on that we, we want to know more about it. I mean, we don't know much about these businesses or these stories that end up um, getting told. And so a lot of our inspiration for it is to learn more ourselves. And so the fact that, that you all as listeners were interested as well, that's a, I think a testament to, okay, we're on the right track. <laughs> like you said, dirt, there's a lot to be learned. There's a lot to build on, but yeah, I think that it's got to start with people being engaged and um, we just thank everybody for, for doing that for sure. Yeah. Your interest in the podcast made it easy for us to want to do another episode every week or every other week, whatever it was. And we ended up doing 14. So if you miss any of the episodes along the way, and maybe you just stumbled across it late in the season, go check them out, man. It went all the way back to April, the week of the masters with Peter Jacobson was episode one. And here we are at the end of September, uh, wrapping it up uh, with episode 14. And we're both jumping on an airplane tomorrow. We're going to Atlanta. So it's it's officially football season for us. And I can't <laughs> Ready wait. Ready or not, here we come. Here we come, man. I'll be, be drunk at a Waffle House in like 48 hours. And I'm looking forward to it. Hey, but don't for forget Braves game, on, Braves game on Friday. First pitch, 720. That's right. Okay, I'm going to be then. there. We'll be there. We'll hang out. We'll take a, a Grip City Golf Twitter account photo from, there we uh, go. from the Braves game as we're hanging out watching some ball. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. And uh, EP, thanks, buddy. You were awesome. Can't wait for a couple of off-season hits. And Maybe we'll have some fun stuff and then season two coming before we know it next year, man. All right. Sounds good, brother. Let's do it. All right, everybody. Hit them straight this offseason. Thanks so much for listening to the Grip City Golf Podcast. I hit it hard, man. Hard.